0: Everybody has a great idea somewhere in them. They just need to do the work to find it.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast presented by Hippo Direct. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur or innovator every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, digital marketing dude at Hippo Direct, and you can reach me at max at hippodirect.com for help using your podcast as a marketing tool. This is episode number 90, and today's guest is Tamsin Webster. In addition to being my favorite Tamsin, she is the idea whisperer, and we dive into her concept of the red thread in this interview. She also is an amazing keynote speaker who's keynoted at Content Marketing World, and she's a messaging strategist where she consults clients like Verizon and Johnson & Johnson. She has served as the executive producer of TEDx Cambridge, the premier TED event in New England, and she also has spent 13 years as a Weight Watchers leader. Let's find our zen with Tamzen. Enjoy the show. All righty, we are here with one of the most enjoyable people you'll ever hear from Tamson Webster. How are you doing today, Tamson?
0: Well, I'm fabulous after that intro. Now I need to live up to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was just you know to just to light a fire under you right away, so yeah, no uh no pressure here
0: no pressure none
1: so i I'm sure you get this question a lot. But, you know, I'm just dying to know as well. So you're definitely the first Tamsin I've ever spoke to. Do you know where your name came from?
0: I do. It is a, it's an old Celtic name. It's, yeah, it's an old Celtic <laughs> name. Uh, yeah, no, I know it and you can't. Uh, Damn it. <laughs> it Damn it. I know. It's an old Celtic name. It is uh, a feminine version of Thomas. Um, mm. And so, and and it, if anyone has seen it before, it's, it has some... Frequency as a nickname for Thomasina um, But if you were to wow. pronounce Thomasina or uh, Thomasine in Gaelic as so far as I understand it It comes out as Shane. and so Tamsin is a simplification of that So there you go.
1: Wow, there's yeah. my uh, Gaelic and Celtic lesson of the day. Yes. Thank you very much. You're welcome Your husband's name is Tom. Does that ever get confusing? Never <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, no, just checking. It doesn't, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I think sometimes people try to, like, like, benefit us or whatever with, like, Thompson, but... um Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means, really. Like, have we met, have we have we gotten to some level of, like, pop idol stardom? <laughs> like, I we're think so. the busters? I, like, I I, don't
1: think. Yeah, I think, well, I discovered you from the pop chart, so that's probably where <laughs> it came from.
0: You know, that's but, where most people find me, so...
1: yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to get into a lot about your famous or infamous red thread that you've created, (laughs) as well as being an idea whisperer, which we'll just have to whisper for that entire portion because, you know, for the sake of corniness. But before we get into that, I want to get into a little bit about your background. So you had a... uh, a great run at Weight Watchers. <laughs> I
0: did, I did. I, had, I worked for Weight Watchers for 15 years uh, as what at that point was called a leader, they're now called coaches, and I did that in my free time, so evening, weekends, mornings, uh, while I had my my full-time job as a brand and marketing strategist.
1: <laughs> so, so what made you get involved as a uh, leader slash coach in Weight Watchers in the first place?
0: Well, 20 years ago, I finished losing 50 pounds and I wanted to keep that, thanks, I wanted to keep that off and I knew that how I was wired, that one of the best ways for me to do that was to help other people do the same thing. One of my guiding principles is the kind of classic proverb of what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So I knew Mm. the way that I'm wired that there was no way that I could talk to other people about losing and maintaining Uh, weight and learning and living a healthy lifestyle. uh, If I was not also doing the same thing and it worked. (laughs) So I I have maintained, I have maintained that 50 pound weight loss through, uh, two kids and 20 years. So, wow.
1: That's, that's incredible. Well, congrats again. I'm just going to keep congratulating you.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks.
1: (laughs) But it's, that makes a lot of sense. And it's true. It, it really clearly served as a, an accountability method as well. So it's cool that it worked for you from that standpoint. What did you learn from Weight Watchers on the business or marketing side of things?
0: Oh, my, uh, uh, everything. Pretty, pretty <laughs> much everything. And I mean that seriously, because if you think about the situation that I as a leader was in, which was my job was I had... a group of people in front of me, 30 to 45 minutes a week. Uh, And the groups ranged anywhere from let's say 10 people up to a couple of my meetings were over a hundred. And my job every week was to help them to think differently enough about some aspect of their eating or of their life or of their health or their mindset that they would then do something different and keep doing something different. And I think in a lot of ways, this is what what marketing is all about, and essentially, and what what we who've started businesses are really all about. We we have f- found a way to do something different, and we want to help other people do that different thing, long term. And so, the the process of week in, week out, for you know, it was really thirteen years that I was a that was a leader in front of the room, figuring out what worked and what didn't to create that kind of long-term shift in thinking and behavior. And so I took those lessons and I applied them to my full-time job. I you know I had realizations that for instance nothing would work at the market level if it didn't work at the individual level first. That pain is the enemy of long-term change and yet it's the it is the focal point of most marketing and sales messaging. And so I just hmm. took some of these realizations and applied them to what I was doing in my full-time job my official job and it it made a big difference that my you know the my marketing was much more effective we ended up you know when i was working with nonprofits we ended up raising more money ended up getting more things done and accomplishing more when i applied those lessons that i learned at weight watchers
1: well yeah you're a shining example of that and i think that's a thing we see a lot but you don't see people dig deep into it often. So I'm curious, what tips do you have for taking skills from one line of work and then transferring it to something that's actually quite different?
0: Hmm. I think it comes in trying to find the core lesson of whatever's happening and and realizing that it isn't just, you know, okay, I'm helping people lose weight over here and I'm helping people um, gain weight. Yeah, yeah, decide to give, (laughs) yeah, and over here, I'm helping people decide whether or not to give money to, you know, the medical school where I was working. Uh, Those are fundamentally different things, actually. You know, the more that I could look at it and say, well, what is the core thing that's happening? Well, the core thing is happening is that I have to figure out how to introduce new information to this person in a way that they're likely to accept and act on you know i have to i have to get them to under uh, to understand the information and agree with the information and act on the information and in both cases that thing is happening once i had that realization that like there really wasn't anything fundamentally different between helping people lose weight and getting a market, finding a marketing message that was successful i really just started to actively look for those uh, those times where i was like well what's happening here and whether it was marketing and i could bring it over to what was happening in the meeting room or whether it was something that I was doing at Weight Watchers that was working, I would look for how I could bring it over. So I think it's, it's kind of like, you know how like Aesop's fables, there's a story and then there's a moral of the story at the end. I would kind of look mm-hmm. at all my experiences in both parts of my life, actually all parts of my life and say, okay, well, that's the story. Whatever the experience was, this was the story. And then I would just kind of say, well, what's the, what's the moral of that story? What's the lesson I can learn from this thing? Because once I started to like, bring things down to those lessons, well, then those lessons could be applied all over the place. And that's, so that's what I would suggest, is try to find the lesson in every experience.
1: So the moral of the story here is to find the lesson in every experience.
0: Correct. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. That's yeah, right. You, you, you really it. put me to the test there. I know. It's true. I, it makes me think back. Well, you mentioned fables. It makes you think to any little kid's story that you've ever heard. I'm sure that's the proper term, little kid's story. But any children's story that you've ever heard, and there's a lesson that you can apply to anything in that. So if you just kind of use that as an, a metaphor or analogy for your life experiences, then think how that can apply to the next thing.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's why we've used stories for millennia to transfer ideas because they are concrete, they are evocative, uh, they, they show the relationships, they show, they show a starting point, they show an ending point, uh, they show like what motivations were, who was going on. And so that's one of the reasons why we tell you know, folk tales and fables to little kids is because we're trying to get them to understand some of these generally accepted life lessons. But it's also the reason why all information when presented in a story form, and I, we can talk more about that, is more successful because our brains, even before we have words, are putting things into the structure of a story. We're trying to figure out you know, who are these people, what do they want, what happens as a result of them pursuing that thing. All of those things our brains are constantly trying to figure out. So if you realize that essentially you're living a story at every moment and your brain is constantly creating a story out of what you're doing, that there, by definition, are lessons in everything that you do because that's simply how people's brains work.
1: Right. And put in other terms, whether you know it or not, you are living a fairy tale. So
0: correct absolutely yes <laughs> we're you're, we're all we're all on a quest we're all in our rags to riches story i mean it's just really like all the different yeah. all the different ways that you can think about it but we we absolutely are the are the central character of an ongoing narrative and i i find that just deeply intriguing and and that's that's mm-hmm. really at the core of my work is figuring out what is the story in which you are living right now and how do how do you get that out to somebody else? And that may sound kind of like woo woo and whatever, but
1: woo woo.
0: Your business, I know, woo woo. But your business, if you've started your business or if you represent a business as you know as a marketer, is the representation of someone having lived an experience that taught them a lesson, and they did a thing as a result. Like that, you're like, huh. You know, if you started your own business, you're you're out there saying, "Hey, there's things that I want to accomplish for myself. Uh, how can I do that? What things can I bring to bear? When you're thinking about what you're actually going to do, you're going to think, like, who's out there? What problems do they solve? What do I have an answer to? We need to be able to figure this out. These are all elements of story. And so if you can if you can really break down those elements of the narrative and understand like what was the narrative that brought you to your founding your business or or creating a new product or service, and then if you can communicate that narrative in an effective way to your customers, your clients, your audiences, well then we're kind of then we're, what we're doing is creating this kind of we're really zapping this idea from from our brain to theirs with as little distortion as possible. And isn't that what we're trying to do whenever we communicate is try to get a message from our heads into somebody else's with as little distortion as possible. And the best way to do that is to kind of is is to aim your message right into the story center of somebody else's head.
1: Bam, zap. I like the uh, the um, vivid verbs there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Kapow!
1: <laughs> We're living a comic book as well. That's right. So you kind of alluded to this and you're really good at kind of teasing or hinting at uh, the main story behind things, no pun intended with story, but you have created this monster I mentioned earlier called the red thread.
0: Mm-hmm. so
1: can you take us through let's just start off with kind of a beginner's guide to what the red thread is and means
0: so at its simplest the the, the red thread is what. What makes something make sense? It's a theme or a through line. It's the main idea of something, uh, and I picked up the phrase "the red thread" working with some clients like a few years ago who were in Northern Europe, and in, in Sweden actually. And there, it's a it's an everyday phrase for them, where people will say, "Well, what's the red thread of this?" And you know, they really? want to hear like, "What's the main idea?" Or that companies would say, "Well, our red thread is X," and we would what you would put in the X is you know, what you're driving you know, purpose, passion, mission is would kind of come in that. And so at its simplest, that's what a red thread is. It's, it's the, it's the unifying idea of something to get a little bit more specific. The way I like to think about it is, you know, if you've ever asked somebody a question and they gave you an answer and you didn't quite understand. So you're like, so, but what, what, what do you mean? Like what, what's going on, or you struggle to understand how their answer was actually an answer to your question, what you were looking for there, or you were looking for the red thread. You're looking for Ah. a connection. You're looking for a logical connection between the question that you have and the answer that you found or the answer you've been given. And so the- You know, to get one level deeper than that, what the (laughs) we're just going to
1: keep going here. I like it.
0: Well, it's just kind of making sure that people are tracking along. So the red thread process that I developed, the red thread method, so you know, kind of like the red thread capital R capital T, is both the output and the process. So it's the process of figuring out how to connect, in this case, your clients, your customers, your audiences' questions to your ideas, products, and services as the answer. It is the connection. And then the red thread method that I've developed is essentially how do you establish that connection?
1: Okay. Yeah. So it's really the, in other terms, it's, it's kind of like the secret sauce or like the thing that gels everything together and, and makes it easy to digest or understand.
0: Yeah. It's the case for your idea or your whatever form your idea takes. Like sometimes that's a message, sometimes it's a product or service, but the red thread is the case for your idea. And more specifically, it's not your case for your idea. It's your audience's case for your idea. It is the story they'll tell themselves about why your idea, your product or service is the right one for them.
1: So how can you use this red thread in terms of getting your story of, of yourself or your, your company brand out there and use it to your advantage from a, a marketing or storytelling standpoint?
0: Well, ultimately, because it, it is essentially recreating and, and kind of surfacing your point of view, it's surfacing that ongoing narrative. You remember what I was saying before? Like, we're living a story, and really, the, this process helps you surface what that what the elements of that ongoing story are right? Um, because each of those elements is distinctive to you and particularly how you put them together. I'd say one of the primary things that, that finding uh, the, the red thread of something does is in addition to helping you establish why your thing is the right answer for somebody or some company, it is actually a very powerful source of truly understanding your, points of differentiation, and therefore ultimately your value proposition. And so think of like where you could use a red thread as any place where you need to make a value proposition, either of your company as a whole or of a particular action, clear. So that can be anything from you know, your marketing marketing materials, what are the big messages that you're putting out there? So brand positioning statements, it's, it's often as I use those with clients, use the red thread with clients to help them come up with that. Um, but we also use it all the way down to how do you structure content that you're generating day in, day out as a content marketing strategy that is still consistent with your overall narrative and yet still very powerful use it with sales messaging. I work a lot with um, startup clients, etc., to help them mm-hmm. phase the same, you know, phase value proposition across all stages of a, of a sales funnel I do a lot of work with B2B companies. So, you know, what does it sound like when you first introduce somebody to your product or service, when you first talk to them, how is that different than when you get moved, you know, down the chain of decision-making to either somebody who's you know, let's say to somebody who's now um, less technically minded than the first person that you talk to how do you keep the 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 urgency and the importance of the idea true when now all of a sudden you can't rely on jargon and those kinds of things? How do you then turn that in all of that information into your final presentation and that final proposal how do you how do you make sure your value proposition shows up loud and clear through all of that so there's a huge number of places to put it, and basically, the only num- the only thing that limits it is whether or not you're in a situation where you need to explain your idea. And any time <laughs> that you need to do that, that this is this is a way to do that powerfully.
1: Right. Yeah, and I feel like that comes up quite a bit when you think about examples or, or case studies of companies, or it could be an individual person. That does a really, really good job with the red thread. What comes to mind? Are there, are there a couple examples you can share with us?
0: Sure, I, I think there's it's it's useful probably to come up with people who aren't my clients so you can <laughs> see consistency. <laughs> um, I mean, one of them is one of my favorite brands, and it may not be familiar to everybody, but it's actually a clothing brand called Diane von Furstenberg, who's still alive. It's she's the she's the founder and the, oh, and yeah, the yeah. original designer of like the wrap dress, as much what, what most people know of her. Yeah, um, this is, but,
1: you're talking about my wardrobe.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's very flattering <laughs> on you thank you um,
1: Oh, come on i wasn't fishing for compliments there <laughs>
0: uh, i love diana versenberg i love her clothing uh and it, and it, but i have also now for oh, coming on 8 9 years been a big fan of of the marketing because with a couple little unfortunate sidesteps in the last in the last 10 years where they you know try to a new creative director whatever they have been so true to the original narrative of Diane herself and what she was trying to accomplish with her clothing, that there's just been this incredible through line, a big a red thread of timeless, easy, elegant clothing. But everything that they do, from how they represent their their themselves on the website to the way they communicate to the way they use social to the way they use all of these things, is just. All of it is about creating this, this very rich uh, narrative beyond just the clothes themselves. And they've been doing that for years. And I think part of that is because they have such, there's such a clear vision from Diane herself that it's, that they've had that ability to kind of articulate that narrative in a way that a lot of companies don't. So I would say that's, that's kind of one of the first examples yeah, yeah. That, that comes to mind. But I'd say an example that isn't a clothing brand. Um, or even a B2C brand, because I think it's useful to think about B2B. Um, I would think about B2B brand that really does this well. Again, not a client, so I like to point, you know, I, like, I, I think I think it's always sometimes, a, It's trust me, I'm sure I will talk about my clients, but I always think it's <laughs> nicer when you can say, hey, look, you can see this concept elsewhere, and if you want that kind of effect... Hey, this process will help you. But
1: right, this th- these are all the people I haven't helped.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I would say that um, you know, a company that does it well, that actually bridges B two B and B two C is 3M. Right. So we, yeah. you know, we know we know 3M from like tape and Post-it notes, um, but the application of what they do uh, is so good, and they and this is one of those places where they have a beautiful tagline that really does capture their red thread in my mind. Their tagline is science applied to life. You know, and I think you can that is a if you know the history of 3M, they started as, you know, the, the M stand for like Minnesota Mining Company. Um
1: yeah, I knew it was a lot of. I just know everything with Minnesota has so many M's in it. It's it's a world record. <laughs> yeah, like
0: it's all the M's. Um, but the history of it is like that. That's they have always been about that, and so which is one of the reasons why I like to point them out as having you know it's one of the rare great taglines because it really is true to what they do, but it's actually distinctive and and congruent with who they are, how they see the world, the narrative that they've been building and are continuing to build. Um, and I think that that's a, I think that's a key piece. So I I would point to those two off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, uh, well, those are both great examples because they're in such different industries and they're uh, both really powerful brands. I think what speaks to me about 3M is they are, of course, one of the biggest companies in the world and they do so many different things. I mean, I remember working on a project for them back when, I was in business school and in doing research for that, I was like, what products does 3M not have? Like they literally have everything. (laughs) But the point of even saying that is they have so many different products and so many different lines of business, yet they're still able to get their tagline down to something that's so powerful and so succinct. And you know what they're about overall, even though they're in, you know, everything from post-it notes to, you know, originally named after mining, like, (laughs) That's that's a really good one there. I'm curious how you use this firsthand. So this might be kind of an example, but I do want to dive more into it. You mentioned earlier, this how you call yourself an idea whisperer.
0: Yes. Well, so I, this, I, I this call me that start. only because a client called me that because otherwise I would feel like a complete jackass if I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go call myself an idea whisperer. Um, I, I I feel like I can use it because someone else, like a, a client, called me that once upon a time. And then I said jokingly to another client, I'm like, oh, it's funny. This client called me an idea whisperer. And they're like, no, yes, that's exactly what you do. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'll go with yeah. that then.
1: No, I, I definitely, I, I'm not saying you should feel like a jackass, but I, <laughs> Uh, I was curious how that name came about. So that explains it. But what do you like about the term? Because it does, it's unique and it's memorable. And I feel like it, it just ties really back to what you're all about.
0: Well, it, it uh, yes, which is why when she said that, I was like, "Oh, that's awesome! Uh, I love jackass. that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because um, I, I don't introduce myself; I don't say, you know, "Like, hey, I'm Samson Webster. I'm I'm an idea whisperer." Because again, <laughs> ja- jackass. Um, but uh, what I think is what I think is appealing about it to other people is that you know the people who I'm really for are the people who know they have a big idea. They know it can have a massive impact in the world in some way and again idea and I classify idea on what is like as long as you think it's big it's big enough for me but I I really work best with companies and people who have an idea that's bigger than themselves they're not just doing it to make money it's that's great but like they're trying to do things that will really help change people's lives Um, and oftentimes like you have the idea you know it's powerful and then there's just just people aren't getting it like it's just not like, you know, it's awesome and you just can't get it out there I think that the I think what's appealing to people about the idea whisper piece is this idea that somehow that 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 idea can get it get pulled out of you without losing its power and that's that's really what I try to do when I'm working with my clients is is find that power of the idea and then figure out how do we present that power as cleanly, as clearly, and as powerfully as possible. Uh, and so that's, I think that's, I think that's why it has appealed to other people, is that I think that there's a lot of people out there who see the potential in their ideas, and and for whatever reason, they're struggling with make with turning that potential into a reality.
1: Yeah, it's, you can feel your passion with it. When was the first time you knew that you really wanted to hone in in this idea and message crafting space? Because you're hmm. really, really good at it.
0: Well, I would say looking back, I think I realized it a lot sooner than I, did, than, than I would say now. Like, I don't think I realized it at the time. But what would happen is like really early in my career, I had like even my first job out of grad school, I was, a, I, I was working as a management consultant at, at a change management consulting firm. So we did a lot of culture change and organizational reorganizations, uh, mergers and acquisitions, those kinds of things. And as a, as a very junior consultant which they called research associates. I was in charge of kind of the communication strategy, like the communication side of those things, because that had been my background uh, in undergrad and in graduate school. And my MBA is in organizational behavior with a focus on management communications. And my undergrad is in uh, marketing. And so they put me in charge of like, well, let's figure out this communication piece. And I just at the time I what I was developing was like, how do we find the power in an organization? I can see that now. you know when I started when I kind of switched out of that and went back to my first love, which was museums and, and the arts organizations for a <laughs> while, and I was in charge of the marketing again. The part that I always enjoyed was the early stage messaging piece, the early stage of figuring out what's powerful about this organization, what's powerful about this idea, what's powerful about this exhibition. How do we connect it? How do we connect it to the audience? How do we get them to see that power? That part of my job, I always loved. And I never loved the execution part. I never loved... And it doesn't mean that I, I don't write and all of that. I do... But I didn't love figuring out, well, we're gonna, we're gonna put three blog posts up on this channel and then we're gonna I was like, <laughs>
1: that oh. sounds exactly like me, but yeah,
0: just shoot me in the face. Like I was just not interested in that. so And so, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so the, the, what I found was that over the course of my career, I kept swinging tighter and tighter and tighter. To that piece of the job that I loved the most, which was the yeah. idea, which was the message piece. You know, when I moved from from organizations to agencies, that was a first big narrowing because instead of doing all of the marketing for you know all of Harvard Medical School fundraising or all the marketing for the for Performing Arts College or all of the marketing and and thinking around exhibitions at a museum, I could think about. You know, when I first the first place I went was a brand was a brand strategy firm. Like we could think just about the brand, just about the, the, that piece of it. And I work with an advertising agency. Uh, I was in charge of, of, this was about 10 years ago now, so this is in the early days of, of social and community. Yeah. And, and so with that brand background, I was like, well, oh, what I love figuring out is what's the idea that we need to be able to, what's the idea that's big enough, that has legs, that's going to hold up over day in, day out, content strategy, social posting, all of that. Next job was a boutique sales messaging and uh, training, you know, sales presentation training firm. So narrowing it even further, now it was just the message piece. And then when I started my own business about four years ago now, I was like, well, this is is the piece. I'm going to do, depending on who I talk to, I describe it differently. But it's essentially – what I would call presentation strategy. In order to do that, you have to know what is the idea, how are and how are you going to present it as powerfully as possible, depending on whether that's a spoken presentation like in a in a keynote or in a in a sales kickoff, or is it a casual spoken thing like a sales conversation? Or is it written? Are we talking about marketing copy or sales documents or white papers or blog posts or status updates what how are the how can we get that idea out there in its most powerful way so it really was just me shedding over time the stuff that i that i didn't love about my job and i just i i just made a conscious effort to to keep to find every time that i moved it was about finding a job that allowed me to widen the percentage of time that i spent on the thing that i liked the most
1: yeah, it's a really good way to to narrow down and and find your niche. How would you characterize how this? I know not very uh, descriptive bubble of idea or message message crafting has changed over time. Like when you think back to when you first got involved in it, to when you you know really ultimately totally focus on it now.
0: Interesting. I that uh, what a thought provoking question. I love it. Oh, thank you. Uh, I would say that it's a lot of, the. I would say it it tracks a lot with the shift in marketing as well. Meaning 20 years ago when I first started, you know, I came out of school and first started doing this work. I think brands and companies and individuals could get away with, well, here's my idea. Here's the brand deal with it. <laughs> like, this is the message, <laughs> go. Uh, we could get, you know, we could get, you know, it was It was much more brand focused. It was much more organization focused because we were still very much 20 years ago, most of the forms of communication were broadcast. And and I don't just mean broadcast like TV. I mean, it was, let's write a thing. You're going to go pick up a muse- like a, a magazine, and then you're going to read it. And so, there there just was a lot of asynchronous broadcast type messaging. And that meant that brands and organizations could kind of ignore the impact, like how the audience would actually react to it. And this is one of those lessons that I learned from Weight Watchers was we cannot forget how somebody is going to actually work. And I think I said it earlier, like something will not work at the market level if it doesn't work at the individual level first yeah. And so even before social started to come up, I was kind of looking at it like, well, we have to actually start not from what we want to say, but what is it that they're looking to hear? And I don't mean what we wish they were looking to hear. I mean, what are they looking for right now? And whether that is you know, a very simple question, like how can we make more money? Or it can be things like when I worked at a performing arts college, how can I be sure that I am not... I'm not consigning my artistic child to a lifetime of debt and failure, um, <laughs> you know.
1: That's one way to put it.
0: But what, however, you but you have to start with what their, what their active questions are right now, and you have to bring that forward. And so I started yeah. to see that early. Uh, I certainly saw it when social started to come up, and then all of a sudden, not only you know, so now we had this kind of layering and I have to pay attention to the audience, what it's going to work for them. Social started to break the asynchronous piece and, it, and now we had to be synchronous. And so what I've really shifted over, seen shift over time, and I say that a lot of people still haven't made that shift, frankly, uh, is that this, this really thinking much more from, from the audience perspective and what they need to hear and really starting with what their world is right now and drawing the path to your message, rather than you trying to push their message out them out there, that's the big shift that I that I have seen happen. The need has shifted. I don't know that that companies and individuals uh, that are putting messages out there have 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 followed that shift yet. Uh, but that's that's the work that I try to do is to say, hey, you know, this this world has changed. You cannot do any of this this way anymore. And I think even a lot of the traditional approaches to branding are. Just absolutely ass backwards, frankly. Um, Ooh, that's
1: I've that. never heard those two words together, and I love it.
0: I love <laughs> it. Thank you.
1: <laughs> uh, also, that was an incredibly thought-provoking answer. So, thank you for kind of taking us through your mindset through all of that. It, it, it's so true. I think it's interesting because obviously the marketing channels, or you know, just channels in general, have changed a ton, but some of these principles can can still apply in the your idea and story, and uh, we'll say Red Thread as well, are always important throughout all this. Imagine you started your own podcast. You're growing your brand, sharing your expertise, maybe even your terrible puns, and meeting fascinating people. That is awesome. Now, imagine all the hours you've lost every week due to the podcast's demands. Not so awesome. I am your podcast producer email me at max at hippodirect.com so let's switch gears a little bit and let's get to a section on inspiration and creativity so when you think about it what do you do to stay creative
0: oh that's easy uh I I'm, Easy. <laughs> it is actually. I have never
1: been more offended. I'm just no,
0: no, 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 no. Because So here's the thing. I define, my favorite definition of creativity is the ability to draw connections between unexpected things. Like that's, that's my definition of creativity. You can yeah, yeah. see something over here, you see, you know, and for whatever reason, like the creative piece comes when you're like, I'm going to take this thing from over here and this thing from over here and I'm going to put, I'm going to put them together. And there's, it's the inspiration to do that or to see those connections. Well, that's so, exactly
1: what, before you go on, that's exactly what you were talking about earlier between Weight Watchers and your other job. So that's like, y- you live and breathe this stuff.
0: I do. You know, it's funny. And uh, because I think, I don't know if I've always lived and breathed it or like, or it was formalized at one point because the, my other undergraduate degree, the one so I have one in marketing, but I have another undergraduate degree in American studies uh, hmm. And American studies is the study of American cultures, you might imagine, but it's actually much more about the <laughs> process of how to study than anything else. So the way that American studies works is that you pick, uh, you pick a time period. Uh, for me, I, p- I picked the intra-war period uh, between uh, 1918 and, and 1940, 41, so between World War I okay. and World War II. And, cause I just love that era, the post-prohibition era, pre-war, and you look at it from every possible, every possible angle, and you just you look at all the connections that you can find. About you know, you're looking at it through the arts. You're looking at it from from the biography of major players. You're looking at it from an economic standpoint. You're looking at it historically of what actually happened. But you're just looking. You're looking at everything just to see how all of it kind of makes sense together. And like I said, I don't know that I'm if if I was attracted to American Studies because that was already how my brain worked. Or once that I did that, I was like, this makes a ton of sense. I'm going to do everything this way. I don't. <laughs> I honestly don't know. Um,
1: that's the voice of your brain, but exactly.
0: It's fun. You know, I have many voices in my brain. Have I told you about my Bostonian alter ego named Karen O'Sullivan? That's a that's a whole other story.
1: <laughs> no, no. I think uh, I I have a future podcast interview with
0: Karen coming up. <laughs> <laughs> we probably do. Um, so, so all of that comes into play with the fact that I love I love doing a couple of things every day. Uh, one is that I I read every day in one form or another. My mornings almost always well, my always start with my reading the Washington Post, New York Times, and then my feedly string of you know three hundred RSS feeds. Just kind of just curious, like what's going on? What what are things happening? And mm-hmm. then I flag those for sharing and I share two a day, or two every weekday on my hashtag swipe file. Um, just kind of interesting things that I find. I just, just interesting stories, studies, uh, examples, pictures, things that I think could be potentially useful for people who are trying to articulate their ideas or present their ideas in some way. And some of it's just silly, but it's just things that, that I find interesting as I'm going through. I always say that if I, had a, if I were to come back as an animal, it would be a magpie.
1: I knew you were going to say that.
0: They have intellectual magpie. Just kind of like find what's shiny and various ideas. Um, <laughs> and then the other thing that I do every day is a crossword puzzle. I do a New York times crossword puzzle every day. And really? um, yeah, <laughs> because it's actually, it's, it's an additional exercise in that kind of lateral thinking. It, it just keeps, it just keeps my brain looking at things from, so the reading helps me just draw random connections between things. Uh, and increasingly with, the wide variety of clients that I serve. It's it's amazing how often I can be talking to somebody who's working on culture change. I'm like, you know, this actually reminds me of this thing I was working on with this person who works with fisheries in Philippines about how they got them, you know, to stop all overfishing the same space. People <laughs> we are like, how do you know that? And I'm like, Oh, don't even. It's a long story. (laughs) Um, But the crossword puzzle I find is just a really is a is it is it's just a it's a good way to keep my brain in that pattern of there's another way to look at this. What else is you know what's missing? What could work here? All those things taken together. That's why I said it was easy. I'm like, oh, I know exactly how to answer this question. This is this is how I this is how I do it. I just I make sure that I have as many connections. I have as many sources of potential connections as possible out there. And then, you know, the doing crosswords just allows me to kind of keep that muscle of my brain of making those connections active.
1: Wow. That that's incredible. It, so many people when I ask about creativity really take some time to think about it. And um, it um it can take a lot of a lot of thought and narrowing down to okay, what actually you know helps kind of free my mind in that sense. Uh, but you were like right on it. You were <laughs> <laughs> you, you you knew what to say. But I think there's some common things in what you said that I hadn't really thought about until now. Uh, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was, you know, crossword puzzles are when you look at it like in its most plain, boring way possible. It's just a random collection of words, a random collection of answers. Like they don't, unless there's like a specific theme for that specific one.
0: And even so, even on a themed puzzle, it's only ever going to be four or five answers that are tied to it. So you're right. It is basically a random collection of words. (laughs) Right. Do you know
1: something about crossword? Yeah. Yeah. But with that, I think they are inherently creative because back to your definition of creativity, if you're connecting Random things or connecting things that aren't really associated with each other. Crossword is like just a mini exercise that you can do. you know, some people I've heard do it daily, and you can just have a little explosion of cre- creative thinking that who knows how that can apply to your work day or whatever else you're doing that day. So I' definitely that's that's really cool that you do that.
0: thanks yeah, i I, I love it and that's uh, i'm I've turned my sons onto it too. so they're nine and eleven and my my older son. I was talking to him last night. He was like, when you come over, can you, could you not do the crossword today before you come over <laughs> so that we could do it together? I was like, all right, this means you're going to slow down my time, buddy. But yes. <laughs> I didn't say wow. the thing about the time to him. I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, I was like, of course I can. You know, you do get competitive with yourself about like how fast you could do them. But uh, I would spend hours on it with my kids if if they enjoyed it. And so far they do. And I don't want to ruin that for them. So I am going to keep them doing crosswords as long as they want to.
1: Yeah. It makes sense. As long, and you can work up some good fake answers too. Like if you're working on one at the time they're talking to you, just be like, yeah, yeah, sure. Sweetie, whatever. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hope your kids aren't listening. Let's get to a fan favorite segment called the wild business shout out of the week.
0: The wild business shout out of the week. That is awesome. Okay, yay!
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm about to uh, be like Billboard Hot 100 with that. But Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. This is where we talk about a brand or campaign that caught our attention, and there's something involving well, I guess in some form a gecko, but much more than that. You mind yes. talking about the example that you thought of?
0: Yeah, the example that I thought of, and because it, it's just, I just think it's brilliant and unexpected, and counter conventional wisdom in so many ways is Geico's what well, most recently their resurrection in sequel form of some of their famous commercials, like the the raccoons and the beavers and those kinds of things. Um, they've brought back the camel <laughs> yeah. a couple times. Um,
1: oh God. Okay. Never forget and, that one. Yeah.
0: And, but what I love about what I, what, one of the reasons why I think Geico is so interesting and why I wanted to give a shout out is because they do and have done that thing i was talking about that nobody else does for years and what i mean by that is they have, they have continually thought about what do different groups of people that might be their customers and clients, what would they pay attention to, how they pay attention to it. And what's fascinating to me is that at any given time, they probably have, what, three, four, five different campaigns going simultaneously, Oh, which I, breaks, I know
1: they're crazy big spenders, too, like they're consistently among the top- uh, Well,
0: Warren Buffett owns them, so that's not hard, but- um, Or it
1: m- might explain a thing or two. Yeah.
0: <laughs> But think about how I mean think about everybody who tells you that your brand has to be like you know one one big concept all the time and yet the one thing that's the only thing that's consistent about Geico other than the use of their logo is you know 15 minutes could save you 15% or more in your car insurance that's it yes. only those two things are consistent and 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 there's often some level of of humor or whatever but if you look at their print ads or their out of home ads they're not funny. They're not, they're not even tied into their TV stuff. And so what's, what's fascinating to me and what, and to me that Geico is the exception that proves the rule that you don't actually need to have like this huge, all encompassing, cohesive brand that everybody in the world totally understands. They just need to find in your product or service, the thing that connects with them. So one of the ways I explain huh. this is a, a lot of times, like the line, the story that we've been told about branding is that we have to big, you know, we have to figure out this big thing. And I think of that like it's it's the reverse parable of the elephant. And what I mean by that is we everybody says you have to figure out what the whole elephant looks like. I'm like, no, you don't. The only people to whom that whole brand, that whole elephant, needs to make sense to, is the brand itself. That's it. That's the only place. Other than that, as long as somebody who's looking for a tusk. Grabs your tusk. That's what you care about, and you need to know how it connects to the rest of it, just in case they kind of go like, "Huh, this is a really great tusk." I wonder if they've got other great things. They're like, "Oh, look at that! It's a big floppy ear." Um, you know, <laughs> so, but that's that's what I love about Geico, and it's just what I I just I love the fact that not only have they been doing this for so long, they've been doing so long to be able to do sequels of their own commercials, like ten years later. Uh, yeah. I just think is spectacular, and I think is is a is a model that more people can follow and i don't think it requires the berkshire hathaway billions uh, right. i just i think what it means is understanding that different parts of your audience are going to see different parts of your work so for instance like the when i'm working with individuals like founders authors speakers i would say that 99% of them have no idea that the vast majority of my actual work is with clean tech life science pharma startups and companies that are in challenger positions like challenger I was just
1: going to guess all those in that exact order. <laughs>
0: I mean, most people have no and those folks don't really know that I do like so for them it ends up being like, Wow, you know, I'm working with them on their, you know, investor pitches or on their value props and and sales conversations. And then they'll say something like, Well, we've been invited to do this keynote and we have no idea what to do. And I'm like, Oh, I do that. And they're like, Wait, what? You know, they feed each other, but that's what I'm saying. I'm not out there going like, Hey, I do this thing for everybody, because that would just confuse people. But to like people from high like organizations with highly technical Or you know, engineering science, whatever you know, for those kinds of people or those kinds of products, you know, they often need the most kind of messaging help, and so like that's where I do that's where I do the majority of my organizational work. And I think to the outside people, like, well, like, I think if you pull back and understand what I do, why I work with both of those groups of people makes sense, but they don't know about each other really. Um,
1: Yeah, the different part of the elephant.
0: Yeah, it's a different part of the elephant, and and I, I, it all makes sense to me, and I and that's all that matters. And I know how to talk to, I know how to talk to my individual coaching clients so that they know that they know I can help them, and I know how to talk to my organizational clients so that they know I can help them. And when I go speak or present at conferences on this stuff, most of the time that's that's for the organizational people. But I use the stuff, you know. But as a speaker, that's how I have credibility with the. With my speaker clients, because I know what it's like to have to go get a speech, deliver one, um, right, and get paid for it. So it all it all fits together. But it's like I said, I'm the only one that it needs to make sense to. Uh, but that's why I just <laughs> I just that's why I love. I think Geico and what they do is a really a model for what a lot of companies could do and find great benefit from.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and you're a master at it. And uh, just one more thing on the Geico front like to, to put it in perspective i don't even know what geico stands for i'm sure i heard it at some point but i have no idea what they stand for and well, like <laughs> yeah, what the letters actually stand a, for but the yeah, slogan is so memorable and like right. you know what i know exactly what they do it's just but it, it, it doesn't even matter that I don't know what it's saying, you know, unless it's like some bunch of terrible words like thrown together.
0: Yeah, I think the I is insurance and the CO is company. And other than that, I think it's, oh, wow. you know, it's like the general. I- I'm something. feeling
1: incredibly bright right now about the uh, not really realizing CO is company. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I mean, that's just that, a that's guess. Gay.
0: Actually, I'm not sure. I, I think it's one of those things like once upon a time, like in that random reading I do, I, I was like, oh, it stands for whatever. Like, um, <laughs> like lg like what that originally stand for stood for too like i have let's knowledge. go <laughs> i don't remember and i don't i'm sure that's wrong. what
1: i'm sure they just named the company that let's go Yeah. yes so let's go to some rapid fire q a to wrap right. up here you ready for it? it
0: i'm ready go
1: all right let's get wild what does geico stand for no i'm just going. kidding <laughs> <Dang
0: it. laughs>
1: so you have you have a very interesting dynamic in that you and your husband Tom are both exceptional and frequent speakers. And yeah. by the way, just to, you know, just a plug for you. Um, I know you guys have the the Free Noter podcast, which is awesome, and your guys banter is so brilliant. Um, awesome! Thanks. Reminds <laughs> me of a previous guest we had, another married couple, Cat and Jethro Gilligan Toth from the Box of Oddities podcast. Who they talk about literally the weirdest stuff out there. So completely different ballpark, yep. but. Again, like there's just something. Ma- I think there's something in the water. There's something magical about uh, when a couple, or, or, or especially a married couple, has good banter like that over podcast form. I think it could really shine. Anyway, well, thank you. That was a hell of a question for rapid fire.
0: <laughs> I was like, define rapid. <laughs> so to, to to pull
1: to pull a question out of this, what would you say has been the uh, the biggest thing you've learned, or maybe most surprising thing that comes out of both you and your spouse being on the, the speaking circuit, if you will.
0: Uh, the most surprising thing about us both being on the speaking circuit is that you can have two totally different approaches to how you put talks together about how you, what you present and how you present it and still be equally successful.
1: Bam. All right. That was much better than my question. (laughs) What is your favorite cocktail?
0: Oh, good call. Um, God, <laughs> it you. changes with the seasons. If I had to pick one and only one to have for all time, it would be a Manhattan.
1: All right. Shout out Manhattan. Yep. You have run mini marathon. How many marathons have you ran? <laughs> two,
0: two. Oh, well, yes. You,
1: yeah. You've run multiple marathons. Um, well, I was going to ask which was your favorite location to run them in, but I guess that, that should be pretty all, easy. They've
0: right? all, they've both been in Boston. So Boston, All right,
1: Boston, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This, this segment is unbelievable. <laughs> and I know you have an interest in dancing ballroom dancing as well. Yes. What, what is your favorite song to dance to? If you had to pick one song,
0: um, Sway by Dean Martin. that one thank you so much you know I always ask
1: people to sing and nobody ever does they're like oh no I can't do that right (laughs) now wow thank you all right and then last thing what is your biggest pet peeve
0: oh gosh uh people talking about things that they have no authority to talk about
1: That is why I am so fired up about, you know, like raising cats. No, I'm just going (laughs) to.
0: Yeah. I, I will admit that there's, there's very little that gets me like more annoyed than somebody who's like done a thing for a hot second and being like, well, here's the way to do it. And I'm like, based on what, but (laughs) we all got to start somewhere.
1: Yes, exactly. Well, Tamsin, thank you so much. Um, I would, pronounce your full Celtic name, but I would totally butcher it. But (laughs) thank you. This has been a blast. Really appreciate you taking us through your career and your amazing ideas and perspective. Where's the best place for people to connect with you and also to uh, tune into the Free Noter? Podcast. Sure.
0: So the best my stuff is all at TamsinWebster.com. So that's pretty straightforward. Uh, you can find links to my newsletter and all that kind of good stuff there. And The Free Noter, you can follow, find that at TheFreeNoter.com and all places that you listen to podcasts.
1: Bam. And then last thing, final thoughts. It could be a line. It could be more singing, whatever you want. Send us off here.
0: Um, everybody has a great idea somewhere in them. They just need to do the work to find it.
1: And mine is in my left foot. I just feel it.
0: Is it. awesome?
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> always making it weird all right thanks tamsin <laughs> all
0: right thanks max
1: hey if you're not weird you're uh, i don't know where i'm going with that thank you tamsin for your ideas of the whispering variety and thank you wild listeners for tuning into another episode if you want to hear more wild stories like this one make sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app and leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts you can also find us on Good Pods, where you can find all the podcasts your friends, family, and more are listening to. In addition, you can dive into our marketing and business growth resources at HippoDirect.com/blog and HippoDirect.com/newsletter. That newsletter is the Hippo Digest, and it's your place for wild marketing ideas every single week. And of course, come say hey on your favorite social media channels at the handles HippoDirect and Max Until next time. Let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos!